Thank you so much, Brother Drew. Thank you for those who are joining. Thank you for joining us online, those that are joining us today. I invite you to open your Bible if you have your copy of God's Word. Turn it on or open it and find with me the book of Romans, chapter number 1. I'm delighted you're here today. God's got a good word for you today. Tell your neighbor, God's got a good word for you today. He does. He has a really great word for you today, and I invite you to open your Bible now to Romans chapter number 1, where we're continuing our message that we've been uh, walking through this wonderful epistle at the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the Apostle Paul to the church Rome, church that he had never been to, but he had planned to go to, and he had heard about God's work of grace and the establishment of that church, and he couldn't wait to come and see them, be with them. He writes this letter to encourage them, instruct them, but also a letter laying out before them the very gospel that he preaches. And as we look at it today, I think your heart will be um, warmed as we study it together. And look with me to Romans chapter number 1 in just a moment. Now, this chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, many consider to be the theme of the theme verses of this epistle to the church at Rome. And uh, it is a very influential passage of Scripture, been used powerfully of the Holy Spirit and transformation of many lives, some of those we've talked about. This week is uh, not only do we uh, uh, Halloween uh, as we think about the 31st of October, but for many of us, it's Reformation Sunday. It's a day of remembering the Reformation. On October 31st, 1517, where a monk from Germany, Roman Catholic professor at the University of Wittenberg, had been studying the book of Romans. God had been speaking to his heart, had been tormented about his own sin and his thinking about the righteousness of God. As he thought about it, all he could think about is the condemnation because God is so righteous, he is so unrighteous. And God's just judgment that should fall on him about whether he could be saved and how he could be saved and how he could ever be forgiven for all of his sins. And uh, God did a breakthrough into his life, the power of God working in him. Before there could ever be a reformation, there had to be a reform take place in this German monk. And his name is Martin Luther. God changed his heart, changed his life. He came to realize that the just will live by faith. And that the righteousness comes from God. It's not something I earn or deserve, but God gives it. And he realized the corruption that was in the doctrine of the church. He realized that the corruption in the practices of the church, and he penned these 95 theses, things that were wrong and needed adjustment and, 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 and confronting these issues and pinned them to the church door, the castle church in Wittenberg. Well, God used that to spark a reformation all over Europe and around the world. And so, a getting back to the Bible alone, to Christ alone, God's glory alone, salvation alone, in, by faith alone. And, and so, it was transformational. Today, look with me to verse number 17. 
Speaking of the gospel, Paul says, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that today, that as we study your word together, that, Father, that you, your Holy Spirit, would do a work in our hearts and our lives, convincing us about our lack of righteousness, convincing us about your righteousness in Jesus Christ and your righteousness in your own person and your righteousness that you make available to us powerfully. And Father, I pray that we might today, by moved by your Spirit, to place faith, trust, belief, and commitment into Jesus Christ. Father, I know that many things would try to persuade us not to pay attention today. There are many things that want to distract us, disturb us. There are voices in our head and things on our to-do list and activities and hurt feelings and fears and anxieties. And I pray that God, you'd help us to set those things aside and to hear you. Oh, Spirit of God, we invite you to speak to us today. This is a holy moment. Speak, Father. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you a good person? Are you a good person? Are you? What do you mean when we call somebody a person? I hear you all say it all the time. He was such a good guy. He's a good person. Wasn't she good? What does it mean when we generally say that somebody was a good person? I know, I kind of know what you mean, I think. You mean they're generally kind of a kind person to you anyway. They're responsible person. They paid their bills. They were not mean to you anyway. They were, they cared and showed care to other people or some other people. But is anyone really good? My question to you. Meaning righteous, just, is anybody? Is there anybody without sinfulness, selfishness, envy, jealousy, vindictiveness? Is there anyone that doesn't lie sometimes? That isn't envious, jealous, doesn't sometimes hate, refuses to forgive, refuses to bless? Is there anyone that's perfectly truthful, loving always, loving the right, doing the right, perfect fulfilling the law of God? There was a lawyer that approached Jesus one time, and he, I think, tried to flatter him. And he said, good teacher, and Jesus stopped him. He said, why do you call me good? 
Isn't there only one that's good? Jesus wasn't saying he wasn't good. He said, why are you calling me that? Since there's only one good, right? So are you calling me something? You see, Jesus was questioning him. But the lawyer didn't really know what he was saying. He didn't fully understand it. The truth of the matter is that none of us are good. Would you all agree with us that all of us aren't good inside, if we're honest? All of us are not right in ourselves. We are all in rebellion against God. We all kick against authority. We are all lawbreakers. We ignore his law. We drag our feet in doing what is right. Isn't that true of all of us? Are you all awake today? Aren't we all sinners and all messed up? I know I'm messed up, and I look out here, and I think you all are messed up too. We all need help. We all need a Savior. I look at my children. They are messed up. My grandchildren, my parents, my in-laws. My wife, my co-workers, I just spent a week with my sister and brother-in-law, a little bit of vacation time, and she was driving because she rented the car, and she didn't obey all the driving rules. Christy's a rule follower. I thought she's going to get in big trouble. But Christy's more exacting when I'm driving than when she was driving. Because she's messed up inside, too. We're all messed up. And boy, after a week with my sister, I realized how messed up she is. She must have come from a messed up family. And she did. Because there's rebellion in her. And there's rebellion in me. It's in all of us. We resist and rebel against authority. And when you resist and rebel against authority... I'm telling you, your, re, your resistance is ultimately against God himself. Right. We live in a nation and in a world of rebellion, and, and this rebellion brings pollution. It brings pollution to your own soul, and it brings pollution to society that we live in. We are rebels, and we are not right with God. And this rebellion, this sin in us, separates us from him. And he is our life source. And when we are separated from God, we are separated from life. This brings death into your life, judgment that we deserved, and hell that we deserve. And all have sinned and come short of his glory. So what can we do? What can we do to fix this? Here's the bad news. You can do nothing to fix it. Because... You're broken. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And this verse helps us to understand it, that the righteousness is from God. It is his righteousness that transforms us. We understand that Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, that it in it, the gospel of gospel that we preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is being revealed. God did something for us. He provided righteousness for us, perfect righteousness. He provided exactly what we needed. 
And he's done this. He's done this marvelous thing that no other could do. No religion could do for us. No science could do for us. No social engineering can do for us. No philosophy can do for us. No activity can do for us. No education or training could do for us. No psychiatrist or psychologist could do for us. No counselor can do for us. It is righteousness making us sinful, messed up people right with holy God. Only God can do that. And he has done that for us in his son, Jesus Christ. And it must be received by simple faith, simple trust in what he has said and he has done. You are saved by grace through faith. Not your own doing, but it's his work. The first point today is, as we look in this text together, is it's implied here that all of us are unrighteous. And we notice the unrighteousness of all people, and that's why we need a Savior, is because we are all unrighteous within ourselves. In verse number 18, notice it says, for the God's wrath is being revealed. Now notice in verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So in it, the righteousness of God is being revealed. In what? The gospel. But in verse 18, God's wrath is being revealed against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. We are all not right. All of us have sinned. How many of us sinned? Raise your hand. Well, of course. We all have sinned, haven't we? There's none of us right. Notice this is Paul's whole argument as he begins in verse number 18 and 19 and following. He says the pagans, the wicked, the idol worshipers, the Gentiles, the barbarians, the irreligious, and those that worship other idols. And and he says they are under the wrath of God, the judgment of God. They knew no better, but but they still, all of creation is screaming to them that God exists, but they are rejected. It, so they are under, rightfully under his wrath. Notice verse 19, it says, What can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood to what he's made. As a result, people are without excuse. There's no excuse. In verse number 23, people argue and say, well, what about the heathen who's never heard? They are still, they're without excuse. Verse number 23, look what it says. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. And God has delivered them over to the desires of their hearts, to all kinds of impurity. Verse number 28, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind, so they do what is not right. God has turned them over to their corruption, and their conscience is seared, and they are far from God. Verse 32, 
although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. They are so messed up, so screwed up, they're in a downward spiral of corruption and depravity and sin and their conscience being seared and they're corrupt and they are applauding others in their corruption. If that's not a depiction of our world, what is? But it's not only these. He says the moralists, these legalists, the judgmental types, they too are under God's wrath and judgment. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore every one of you who judges is without excuse. So you sit in your TV and you watch the news and you judge everybody else, but aren't you guilty too? For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Verse 3, do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Hmm? He says you pretend to be better, but... You look down on other people, you gossip, but don't you gossip, don't you lie, don't you lust, don't you envy, aren't you jealous, jealous, aren't you a liar also, don't you, you judge others, you criticize others and they're law breaking, but don't you law break yourself, you too are under God's judgment right in a righteous, God, God's righteous judgment is on you as well, how about the religious crowd, well, Glad you asked. He, he, he nails us as well. Notice what he says in chapter 2. In verse number 17, Now if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things of the superior, be instructed from the law, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and the truth in the law, you then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you should not steal, do you steal? Do you hear his old argument here? Verse 22 you who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? He said even the religious crowd are sinful. And all are under judgment. All of us. That's why chapter 2 verse 16 says, On that day when God judges what people have kept in secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. Verse number 25, look what it says in chapter 2. It says, circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. These Jews, they were religious. Well, we've, we were, we're a member of the church. We've been baptized. We've been circumcised, whatever. I mean, that's the whole argument. He says, no, what's it, you still are lawbreakers. 
And you're never, you're not, your heart's not right with God. You see, all of us are under judgment, and this is, the whole, this is where he's leading to in chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 10. Would you look in your Bible? You're going to need your Bible as we go through this Romans together. Romans 3, verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what's good, not even one. The throat's an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they've not known. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. All sinners. Now notice verse 19 now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every, every mouth may be shut, and the whole world may be subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. There is no way to save yourself. We're all sinners and we all need to be saved. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, aren't we? We are. By nature. By birth. By behavior. And not only that, you cannot save yourselves. There's only one way for you to be saved, and that is through the righteous man, Jesus Christ, and his atoning work for us. In chapter number 3, verse 22, Paul says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction. There is no favoritism. Salvation is for all of us, Jew or Gentile alike, and it's found in one person, and that is through Jesus Christ and him alone. There's no second way. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter number 10, verse number 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 11, the scripture says, everyone who believes him, him will not be put to shame since there's no distinction, no favoritism between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All of us are sinners. All of us are condemned. All of us are separated, and all of us can't save ourselves. And God has provided one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of God is in him. And I hear the most foolish things said. Well, you know, I'm not a Christian, but you know what? I'm going to take my chances. Take your chances? It's a sure deal, bud. Without Jesus, you're going to hell. Well, I've lived better than so-and-so when they go up to that church. Well, you know what? God's not grading on a curve like that. If you want to compare yourself to somebody, here's who you compare yourself. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ. 
That's the stack pole against which you're measured, not somebody else. I mean, I could say, hey, compared to Jay, I'm pretty good, right? I mean, if, if it's me or Jay, I'm counting on me. But it's not me or Jay. It's not. I mean, I love him. When I was in seminary, and I don't know who came up with this in ancient years ago. I, I think maybe they've repented since then. But the administration had a nefarious, nefarious grading system. It was called the bell curve. In a bell curve, Rich, you'd understand what a bell curve is. Well, when you think about a bell curve, that means when you go into a class, they were mandated that you grade on a bell curve, meaning only so many people could get an A, only so many people could get a B. The vast majority had to get a C. And there's a few beetle bombs that would get a D or an F. I remember going in, pride filled my heart sometimes about those things. I remember taking an Old Testament theology class, and I walked in. A couple of buddies of mine took it with me. I walked in and counted the number of people. I said, there's 15 in here. I'm sure one or two will drop out. That means there's two A's. I got one. Who's getting the other? Hmm. I'll never forget my friend John said, Stop it, Lewis. Stop it. Because it was competition, right? And that's the way we do. We try to size up each other. How do I compare to each other? You've sized it up wrong, my friend. It's you against Jesus. And you're found wanting. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He lived a righteous and perfect life. And you're condemned. And you have no hope. The second part of this text today that I want us to look at is that righteousness is from God. It's the righteousness of God or the righteousness that comes from God. It is revealed to us, notice in chapter 3, verse number 21, it is revealed. It is a righteousness that's revealed how? In the gospel. The gospel of whom? In the gospel of Jesus. And Jesus has revealed perfectly the righteousness of God. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Notice in chapter 3, verse 21, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness from God that is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no distinction. This is indeed an attribute of God. It is revealed righteousness we've seen his righteousness it is from god it is an attribute of god himself in genesis 18:25 remember the pleading of abraham with god about lot and sodom and gomorrah and he says won't the judge of all the earth do what is just of course you are judge of all the earth won't you do justly of course he will he is just in his very character in his very nature that's why Paul argues in chapter 3, verse number 25, God presented him 
as a mercy seat through his blood, mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. God is righteous. Notice verse 26. He says, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just in his own being. God cannot act unjustly. And what seems to be unjust is for God to declare unjust people just. But God has provided a means to do so justly. How is that? Because the just one dies for the unjust ones so that he might bring us to God. The full payment of our sin was done in a just way by a perfect man who died for imperfect men and women so that we might be made right with God. It's the very attribute of God. It's not only as active, it is his activity. He, in righteousness, he is delivering us. In the Psalms, it says in 143, verse 11, In your righteousness, deliver me from trouble. He delivers us. I must hurry. But it's something he's achieved for us. It's his achievement. And this is, God's, this is the nut of where we're going today in the sermon. Stay with me. If you look with me in the book of Philippians, chapter number 3, how do we receive this righteousness from God? Now, if you have your Bible, look with me to the book of Philippians. Galatians, I mean, uh, Philippians chapter number 3. Now, notice Paul is talking about his confidence, theoretically, his confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Why? This is my pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that's in the law. Now, what an outstanding statement. Blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, listen, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on on faith. The only way to be made right with God is faith in Jesus Christ alone. In the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verse 3, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God, and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they've not submitted to God's righteousness. Here Paul is talking about his broken heart for his brothers and sisters, his fellow Jews. And they tried to establish their own righteousness, but they can't do it. 
you cannot earn or work your way to God and to right, right relationship with God. So that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, look in verse 17. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? There's only one way to find righteousness, and that gift comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part that we might become, what does it say? The righteousness of God in him. It's our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And so, notice with me, Let's just imagine, why don't you take your hand, would you take your hand just like that? If you have your Bible, put your Bible on there, okay? Just hold it up just like that. Now, let's just imagine that inside this book are all the sins that I've ever committed in my life. Now, number one, it would be multi-volume, but let's just pretend. All of your sin, think about it, every lie, Every deceit, every envy, every jealousy, every crossword, every gossip, everything you didn't do that you should have done, all of your sin, all of it, lies you've told, lust in your flesh, thoughts in your mind, angry, insecurity, unforgiveness, coveting, it's all there. All of your sin. I want you to think about it. In all of its inking blackness, in all of its devastation, all of your sin. The Bible says all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord, would you put your hand over here? has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everything you ever did, every sin you ever committed, is on Jesus. And he paid for it in full. Can somebody say praise God? Isn't that awesome? Now, it even gets better. Take your hand like this. You, sin's gone, right? Over here is every good thing Jesus ever did. Ever, the perfect love of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the truthfulness of Jesus, the complete fulfillment of the law of God in the perfect God-man. And I want you to put it over here. And that's in your account now. And that's called the imputed righteousness of God. Whoo! Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Now listen. 
(laughs) This salvation is glorious. He not only took your sin out of the way, the certificate of debt, the handwriting against us, and nailed it to the cross, but he's given us the righteousness of Christ. Not just paid for. We've received into our account the righteousness of Christ. That is the glorious, most glorious, great good news I know in all the world. And when Martin Luther saw that, he thought, I no longer have to beat myself up or work or confess. And, and I no longer have to f- try to earn but he gives it to me and to you. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Wow. When I have a spell, if I'm not careful. The response is faith. Pastor Tim, how do I receive this? It's faith. Notice what he says in this passage, and there's been a lot written about what is meant by this, and I'd like to tell you that I know a certain I don't, but I'll tell you what I think it means. For in it the righteousness of of God is revealed from faith to faith. Whatever else it means, I believe it means it's from faith to faith. It's by faith from beginning to end. And it's a work of God's grace from beginning to end. Now let me say this real quick. Number one, faith is not a work. We don't replace the law with faith. Faith is not a work. It's not something you do to earn being saved. That's not true. Faith is a gift from God. In Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus says, the Bible says that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. In Acts chapter 3, it says the faith comes through him. In Acts chapter 10, verse 18, whenever Cornelius' house is saved and they go back to Jerusalem to report to them that they've been baptized and they'd received the Holy Spirit. Then the church in Jerusalem, when they heard the testimony of Peter and others, they said, God has granted to the Gentiles, granted, given, repentance and faith. It's a gift from God. Even your saving faith, God gives it as a gift to you. And your response is faith. You don't earn anything. It's the work of God's grace in your heart. Amen? Mm. And so we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast antecedent in that a gift from God is faith. 
For by grace are you saved through faith. That not from yourselves. It's a gift. Faith. You respond in faith. Will you receive him? Will you respond to him? Faith is not only believing in the facts, yes. Faith involves knowledge, yes. Faith means I'm convinced of the truth, yes. Faith is a commitment of your life, yes. It's Lord Jesus, I believe you. Would you take your hands like this and just do like this, like this. You have nothing to bring. You can only receive. And you say, dear Jesus, I I trust in you. I have nothing to bring. I put my faith in you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you trusted him? He's right here in this room. He's doing business in your life. Will you call on him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, in a room like this, there are those, someone here who may not know Christ as Savior, never turned from sin, never trusted. And Lord, they're convinced that they are sinful, and they're convinced they can't save themselves. And now the truth is speaking to their heart that Jesus alone is the Son of God. Jesus is the only righteous one. And Father, they're believing today that he died on the cross for their sin. And they today are turning from sin and trusting in him and receiving forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ. Oh, Father, today, as we take of this supper together, may we confess with the very act of eating this bread and drinking this cup that we're putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.